Chapter 1 of Silver Chimes in Syria Glimpses of a Missionary's Experiences. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joseph Barbaccia at www.paradisestudio.com. Silver Chimes in Syria, Glimpses of a Missionary's Experiences by William S. Nelson. 1. Every individual makes a new personal discovery, as with the passage of years, he realizes the difference between the long look forward over a given period and the long backward over the same period when it is completed. To the new arrival on the field, the veteran of 25 years' experience appears to have spent a very long time in the service. But as he looks back over his own life, at the end of a similar period, he wonders that he ever entertained such an opinion. Looking back to the year 1888, the events of that time do not seem at all remote, and it is hard to realize that to anyone that year can appear a very long way in the past. On the last day of October, in the early morning, a steamer of the Austrian Lloyd Line cast anchor in front of Beirut. That was long before the building of the harbor, and all vessels tossed in the open roadstead at the mercy of wind and wave, only slightly sheltered by the long headland of Ras Beirut where the tall lighthouse rears its slender shaft and where the Syrian Protestant college stands as a more important symbol of light-giving. The anchor was scarcely dropped before the little boats from the shore crowded about the ladders and the boatmen came swarming over the sides of the vessel to take possession of the passengers and carry them ashore. It is always a perplexing but interesting scene to the newcomer. The curious costumes of many colors give an appearance of gaiety to the crowd. The shouting of the guttural Arabic makes one think of Babel. The wild gesticulating of the excited people suggests the possibility of a riot. The seizing of baggage and pulling of passengers by eager boatmen make one think that the day of personal liberty and private property is past. As a rule, however, it is all good-natured, and the noise is more bantering than quarreling. In fact, one soon becomes accustomed to the turmoil as an indication of lack of orderly proceeding in the Orient. Among the first figures to appear on deck that October morning was one quieter but no less eager than the Arab boatman. He quickly made his way to the room of the new missionaries just arriving from America, prepared to take them ashore and even to escort them at once to his own home in Sidon. It was a most welcome, homelike experience to the tired travelers, and the cheery voice and cordial welcome of Mr. W. K. Eddy will never be forgotten. There were many things in the journey thus ended that had made it trying. The young couple had crossed the Atlantic entirely among strangers and the ocean had not been kind to them. 
Seasickness is never a happy experience. And when it becomes a continuous performance in connection with a wedding journey, it seems most inappropriate. Pleasant visits with the family, friends, and relatives in Scotland efface the memories of the Atlantic. Visiting new scenes and beautiful places in Switzerland gave much pleasure by the way, but in an unfortunate day, the germs of malaria had been absorbed and southern Italy was reached with fever and weakness that made sightseeing a burden. Who can forget his first glimpse of the real Orient at Port Said? The noise and the dirt, the squalor and the glaring sun, the rush of the crowd and the utter lonesomeness of the stranger make a contrast and mixture that are not easily matched in life's ordinary experiences. Four days were to pass before a steamer went to Beirut. It was not a pleasant prospect for travelers homesick and weak from fever to have to tarry for four days in a dismal hotel with nothing attractive in the way of companionship or occupation. Besides this, our trunks had not been sent forward as promised, and we were obliged to depend upon the limited hand baggage with which we had crossed the continent. It is easy to imagine the sensations with which the young bride looked forward to making her first appearance among strangers, with a face pale from fever and an outfit so unexpectedly limited. The hearty welcome of Mr. Eddy on the deck of that Austrian steamer in Beirut Harbor was a needed tonic, and his skill and experience readily passed us through the intricacies of the custom house and brought us to the hospitable home of his father. Of the friends who conspired to make those first days bright, many have been called away to the other shore, though others are still our associates in the service of Syria. Dr. and Mrs. W. Eddy, with whom we spent our first 10 days in Syria, left us many years ago. Dr. Samuel Jessup was always thoughtful, bringing bright flowers from his garden to continue the impression of his bright face and cheery words when he called upon the strangers. He and Mrs. Jessup, whose home was one of the brightest spots of those early years, have also gone on before to their well-earned reward. Mr. March, coming down from the mountains on his way to Tripoli, was especially ready in his plans for the comfort of his new associates in Tripoli Station. But it is not necessary to mention each one. The beauty of missionary life is the unity of fellowship and the completeness with which every newcomer is received into the intimacy and love of the circle, which is only less close and intimate than that of the family itself. After 10 days spent in Beirut in trying to get rid of the malaria and in acquiring some knowledge of the Arabic alphabet, we went on to Tripoli, our future home. It was a cold, windy Saturday afternoon. We were taken out to the steamer in a small boat, which tossed on the restless waves in a way which we supposed to be normal. The steamer was small and crowded with a miscellaneous company, most of whom were not happy, to say the least. Fortunately, it is only a four hours ride 
for the wind increased in violence as we proceeded, and when the anchor was dropped at sundown off Tripoli, it seemed doubtful whether any boats would come out to meet us. In due time, however, a boat pulled alongside, and there was Mr. March, who had come out over that rough sea to welcome us to our new home, though he did not think we would venture to start from Beirut in such a storm. The steamer was rolling so badly that the ladder could not be lowered at all, and we crept out on it as it lay horizontally along the ship's side, and then, when the tip was lowest, simply dropped into the arms of the boatmen below. Then began the laborious pull for the shore. We were two hours reaching land, our clothes soaked, our spirits at zero, but most happy to reach the warm, cozy haven of the March home in the Mina of Tripoli. It was the beginning of a most beautiful fellowship with Mr. and Mrs. March and their children, whose sweet introduction of themselves won our hearts at once, and who, though now grown to maturity, still call us by the old affectionate titles of uncle and aunt. Thus, for the second time in our short missionary experience, we were made to feel the comfort and peace of being taken into the warmth and love of a Christian home, no longer as strangers, but as brethren. We wished to take possession of our own home as soon as possible. Our household goods were in the custom house, and another first experience was before us. Everything had to be examined, and its purpose explained to the satisfaction of the Turkish inspector. To him it seemed a wholly unnecessary amount of furniture for one person, for, of course, he could not recognize that the wife's existence made any difference. A box of class photographs was examined in detail, and great surprise manifested that one person should have so many friends. A small vase for flowers in the shape of a kettle resting on five legs puzzled the examiner, until he picked up the perforated piece of soap dish and decided that he had found the appropriate adaptation of the two pieces. It did not seem necessary to explain, so long as he was satisfied and no harm was done. We had many things to learn besides the language. Our home belonged to a man whose name was translated to us as Mr. Victory of God Brass. In an arch under the parlor windows, he had hung a donkey skull and some beads to keep off the evil eye of jealousy from his fine house. It was a pleasant house, well located near the city gate, which had been known in former days as Donkey Gate, only a few minutes walk from the girls' school and just at the end of the tram line connecting the city with the harbor two miles distant. In planning for our new home, we had indulged in the luxury of two pairs of simple lace curtains for our parlor windows. When we entered the house, our amazement can hardly be exaggerated at the discovery that the parlor had not two, but eight windows, each calling for curtains 12 feet long. Our lace curtains were regulated to service elsewhere. Mr. Eddy had kindly arranged to come up from Sidon to help us in this first settling of our new home, and his help and companionship were invaluable. 
He went with me to the shops to purchase such things as were needed, and the shopkeepers recognized at once his fluent Arabic and his companion's ignorance of the language. More than one shopkeeper called him aside and asked him to bring the stranger to them for his purchases, promising him a handsome commission for his services. The house was soon made habitable, and just three weeks after our first landing in Syria, we slept under our own roof, with our own possessions about us, and were ready to begin our own independent home life in the land of our adoption. We had made our beginning, and a bright, happy beginning it was, notwithstanding the difficulties and drawbacks inevitable in such conditions. End of one. Recording by Joseph Barbaccia, www.paradisestudio.com.